0: News. 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 New York City.
1: The FAQ NYC podcast is getting more and more interesting by the minute. F-A-Q. F.A.Q. It's 3 p.m. on Wednesday, May 20th, and this is FAQ NYC. I'm Harry Siegel of the Daily Beast and the Daily News. Here in Windsor Terrace, Brooklyn, along with Professor Christina Greer of Fordham University in the Amsterdam News and the Greer in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Hello. Hello. And Alex Brooklyn of Racket Beer in the village. Hello. Hello. So a real quick rundown of the week that was, we'll jump right in. The city is now supposedly using the hospital system, the public hospitals, to assemble an army of what will be 2,500 tracers to replace the disease detectives of the health department, Who, uh, after promoting tremendously as what was going to keep us safe, um, more or less vanished down the memory hole, as did Health Department Chief Aksiris Barbeau, before reappearing this week to say she's on board with this shift. That basically took what the Health Department has always done, which is tracking down people with diseases, figuring out where they come from, the networks they've been involved in, and so on, through like the Spanish flu and HIV AIDS, measles, Legionnaire's disease, and everything else. And having that handed over to the hospital system, which does not whatsoever have that background. In the meantime, the city is now planning to offer free on-site corona testing, Mayor de Blasio said today, Wednesday, to all 169 nursing homes in the five boroughs. And Cuomo is saying that the state did everything we could for people in nursing homes and blaming the feds and Trump's CDC for his March 25th directive instructing those nursing homes to readmit coronavirus patients who've been discharged from the hospital. As of now, New York is approaching 6,000 confirmed or suspected coronavirus deaths in nursing homes. That number is more than the total deaths in any state except New York and New Jersey. In the meantime, vaccination rates have plummeted, de Blasio announced on Wednesday, presumably because no one is going to the doctor but that's an ominous sign ahead of the prospect of a second wave here in New York. The council and the mayor are in a huge showdown about whether or not to house all homeless people in now vacant hotel rooms. And we have a new breakdown of where coronavirus deaths and infections have occurred, showing a stark split in the pandemic's impact. As one politician put it, we may all be in the same boat, but we're sure not in the same ship. So, some causes for optimism as the numbers continue to mostly head down in terms of hospitalizations, infections, and deaths, and I think a lot of causes for concern about what's to come as people around the world race to find a vaccine or a cure, and as we race along with other states to finally get some sort of testing and tracing agenda into serious order.
0: It just seems like the entire testing and tracing operation has devolved into like a bureaucratic breakdown similar to what you'd see in like a, an overworked uh, social services office. I mean, there were descriptions of this amazing efficient machine that was supposed to come where we were going to turn hotels into isolation units, which is different than housing the homeless and that there would be one area in each of these hotel floors that would be for a nurse and this would be for people who could ride out symptoms that wouldn't necessarily need a hospital and that these testers and tracers could offer quarantine spaces for people in the now vacant hotels. Also, when you think about homeless people, when the answer to why that's so complicated to do is, oh my God, they need so many social services. Well, somehow they've managed to do it for HASA housing, other transitional housing, and to turn hotels into that, these vacant places with singular rooms that have their own locks on doors and stuff, if they're able to do it to make it a halfway medical facility, aren't they able to do it to make it a halfway social services facility for homeless people? I just don't really understand the excuses coming out of City Hall right now. Well, I think, Alex, do you remember we've
2: talked about this on the podcast for the past year and a half where we've always said like the measure of de Blasio's tenure will really be when he's in a crisis because we haven't really had one since he's been mayor. We've had little incidents here and there. I mean, i have just, thankful that he hasn't put his wife in charge of yet another commission to figure this out. I mean, it seems as though we're having a complete and total breakdown of leadership at the top to really delegate a clear vision as to how this should happen, because it needs to happen efficiently. And it seems like a lot of these press conferences, and this is the mayor, the governor, and obviously the president, I mean, they keep kicking the can down the street, but we're dealing with these exorbitant rates of not just illness, but death. And it seems like the city in some ways is kind of immune to the reality of what's going on.
0: At least Cuomo in his press conference today, which is Wednesday, the day we're recording actually pointed to some of the area codes that were having uh, the highest percentage of positive COVID cases, some in the Bronx, some in Brownsville, and then saying that they were going to open testing centers in those spots. This is something the mayor almost to protect New Yorkers, fragile flower-like ears won't even admit to in a lot of his press conferences. And speaking of him transferring responsibility from Barbeau's office to Katz, there was this very interesting, appreciative monologue where the mayor really, really was like almost scraping and bowing to Michael Katz and praising him for taking his mother out of a nursing home and providing a home for her in the same building he lives in which of course is nice for Michael Katz, but really isn't a realistic possibility for a lot of New Yorkers.
2: Well, I think also we're seeing the real aftershocks and the after effects of the Bloomberg 12-year tenure and how unequal this city is. I mean, most New Yorkers don't have the resources to move themselves or anyone else that they love. You know, it's like a small percentage that can block to their second homes, but for a lot of New Yorkers, they're stuck. I mean, we haven't even talked about the folks in NYCHA we haven't talked about the folks who are housed, but barely. And we've seen, not all, but you know, several landlords are using this as an opportunity to either you know try and passively get rid of folks or just make it so untenable, New Yorkers are just stuck. And I, I think if you don't have leadership at the top, everything else just kind of falls apart. And I think that's what we're seeing. And the only reason why we're not seeing more outrage yet is because I think people are just literally living minute to minute, day to day, especially since so many kids are still in school and they don't really have time to direct any of their energy and ire outward just yet because they're still on their own basic survival.
1: And I think that Trump is so infuriating and has been so much more interested in drawing attention to himself than with with leading through this. It's given a lot of space to Cuomo and even de Blasio, you know, Cuomo right now, his approval rating is through the roof. He was just on the cover of Rolling Stone. And from a messaging <laughs> perspective, at least, right, he's done the things that like a competent PR person would tell you to, in which you you take some accountability, you try to put out clear numbers, uh, or for some personal perspective and sympathy, uh, things that have long been baked into like, uh, you know, WHO and CDC guidelines for how you're supposed to message during a health crisis, Whereas Trump, you know, is uh telling us that he, he he's taking hydrochloroquine, just, uh, you know, this uh, malarial drug that creates heart palpitations, also triggers mood swings and so on. Like, word knows if he actually is or not. But that sort of clownish performance, I think, has opened up a lot of space for others to post without being criticized for some of their own errors. There's also, Ooh, no. I think, with competent leadership, right, you get the rally around the flag effect that Trump has not in which when things are really bad and screwed up and people are making some efforts to get them right, even if they make terrible decisions like Cuomo did with his March 15th directive to the nursing homes, that there's some sense this person is trying, they've been relatively transparent. You know, the concern at that point, the spirit of fairness is these hospitals are going to get totally overloaded. So if you have patients that don't need Hospital services, and you have some closer than to return to, maybe it makes sense for them to be there. That was the, the real logic at the time, not that Cuomo's acknowledging it.
2: No, I, I agree with you, Harry. I mean, the thing is, the growth and competence of the president makes anyone in comparison look like they're doing a bang up job. I mean, the fact that the president's, you know, talking about his hydroxy and his zinc tablets, whether he's lying or not, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I, I can tell you every single friend that I have who does not live in New York City. Has texted, called, or emailed to say, "I love your governor. You're so lucky." You know, I know. governor. I'm like, you do realize I live in like rat COVID city. Like, what are you? What are you even talking about? Um, But this is, you know, these are friends from across the country. Where it's it's the PR machine of Cuomo. I mean, to say nothing of how he has CNN on tap because of his brother. And I think he does do this great mix of like, I'm trying my best, but he actually. I think, you know, to be fair, I think he and de Blasio are actually trying to figure this out. The problem is they've made some really bad calls from the beginning, which has made New York City and New York State so far behind when it comes to protection of the residents of the city and state.
0: I think Cuomo has always been trying his best, but constantly with one hand clutching tightly to the agenda that he's really wanted to push through especially when it comes to the Medicaid overhaul he wanted to do at the beginning when the pandemic was just starting. And there's a lot of things being pushed through. I did want to mention that the Rent Guidelines Board, it's now being said that they're kind of letting that vacancy reward slip back in to landlords to keep some of their rent-stabilized units vacant, thus like taking them off the market. They can raise them a certain amount if they're quote unquote vacant, but everybody knows there's no reason for a lot of those units to be vacant unless the landlords make it. So the mayor was surprised to even hear that today. Also, who knew that Trump would end up being the Jude Law character in Contagion?
1: Nobody knows what you're talking about. I still need to watch Contagion. I've, I've avoided it. the course of this. We're, we're the only two people left in America, Chrissy, who have not.
2: Well, I, I mean, Harry, imagine if we were the only two people left in America. <laughs> 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 the adventures the adventures of Mary and Chrissy in the streets of New York City.
1: <laughs> I would not, I would not, as, as my wife is fond of telling me, I would not last long in, in those circumstances. I would have a great library, my stuff would all be alphabetized, and, and uh, then wolves or squirrels would even...
0: I think... I think I'd do okay, even though I have a terrible green thumb, but I think I'd do okay because I went to camp, which,
2: you know, slightly shifting gears, this is also what worries me and makes me really sad about the state of affairs is that, you know, we're going to have a whole summer of kids who aren't going to be able to go to camp. So that's like further stress and strain on parents. We have no idea what that's going to mean for child abuse, domestic abuse, and just the sheer exhaustion of parents across New York City. But, you know, the experiences that kids get when they go to camp and interact with other kids who aren't from their school um, and their direct community is something that I'm really sad um, that so many kids won't be able to experience this summer.
1: This gives every making of being a brutal summer with the beaches still closed here, camp off, both the city funded ones that, that have been really important and a lot of the uh, private ones as well.
0: Well, the mayor is starting to hedge on whether he's going to keep some of these, like, very weirdly placed and almost ineffective open streets open. The hundred miles that, like, surround and go through parks. He's now saying he can't commit to them actually being open. But he does want to commit to a future city with less dependence on cars and
1: But not, not any of the things that would make that actually happen. Where Paris and other cities are actively planning for a West car-oriented future. He seems to have taken pains not to have done that. He had to be pushed to close these streets off in the first place, even in the absence of cars. Um, A very important rat note that I, I think we should take one minute to discuss from the Wall Street Journal and uh Stephanie Yang. The rats have no food left here because the restaurants are all gone and the offices are all gone. And thus, as urban rodentologist Bobby Corrigan explains... With New York queer and cleaner than ever, you end up with this group of disoriented, stressed rats foraging about. So they've been having wars and uh, resorting to cannibalism. That's Cannibal not a rats? Mejor. Cannibal rats in New York. Rats are famously cannibalistic.
0: Thank you, Adam. Adam, are you the resident ratologist? <laughs> you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> This week I rode a bike for the first time. As everyone who knows me knows, like, I won't get on a bike because everyone I've ever known who's ridden a bike in New York City has been
1: harmed
0: terribly. So I get on a bike for the first time at the behest of my new husband and, uh, and it was great. And it was only great because there was like two cars on the road. And it was, it was actually really fantastic. I got tisked on Twitter for not wearing a helmet, which I will get one. I did want to tip t- t- you, but I, I figured I'd wait until our
1: podcast. <laughs> so before we, uh, we run out of time here, Chrissy, fill us in on the conversation you had this week with Janos.
2: Let's take a listen. Good morning. It's FAQ NYC
3: on May 19th. Malcolm X's birthday. I'm here with Janos Martone, civil rights attorney and candidate for Manhattan District Attorney. Thank you, Janos, for joining us again on FAQ.
4: Absolutely. Great to be here.
3: So I wanted to talk to you today because I know that you are representing Ishmael Kamal. And our listeners may remember a few weeks ago, a small child, roughly around the age of 10 was arrested on the New York City subway. The visuals were pretty dramatic and graphic due to the number of police officers who arrested him and the size of the small child who was, I believe, selling candy. Can you tell us a little bit more about the case? And then I just have some questions about kind of the future of our city and and what that means going forward in the coming months.
4: Sure. Well, this is a really sad story about a family pursuing the New York dream and it turning into a nightmare. You have a family who play music and had come to New York to try to make it in the music business. Uh, Things had really not worked out. And by this
1: winter, they were bouncing around the New York City shelter system and really struggling to make ends
4: meet. And so one of the things that the family turned to was selling chips and candy on the subway. And they would do it as a family. And this particular case, their son, who is about 10 years old, was uh, one subway car ahead of the rest of the family, selling potato chips and candy when a group of police officers grabbed him, took him off the subway. As the video showed, they were pretty rough with him. And what makes the video so much more intense is that when his mother came running up to them saying, that's my son, they're extremely dismissive. They said, how can we believe you? And in the practice that followed, they ended up also arresting the father and holding them in a police precinct while they figured out what to do with them. And it was just, this is right in the middle of the pandemic. We're talking mid-April. This is when things were really bad in the city and the family had no other real recourse to make money. And following this incident began to feel really unsafe and eventually they had to leave the city. So that's what went on in this case. But this is not an isolated incident. We've got lots of families that are going to be desperate to make money in these months ahead and we have to figure out how we're going to treat them respectfully.
3: Yeah, I think that's why I really wanted to talk to you because- You know, I know a few weeks ago, the mayor announced that the Summer Youth Employment Program would be suspended this summer. I know that because of COVID-19, summer camps are all but canceled, so you're going to have a lot more families who, A, don't have teenagers making money, not just for themselves, but oftentimes we know those teenagers put a little bit of that money back into the family budget to support their parents and their siblings, and B, you have young kids who don't have any place to go. So We're more likely to see more of these types of stories. Is the NYPD just going to arrest children and families in mass?
4: You know, there are many questions that we have to work out about how we're going to properly have law enforcement this summer. I've written about the fact that we need to take the police out of social distancing because they really are not well suited to inform the community about how to be healthy and responsible. And instead, we should pay the community
1: to do that. We should have grants going to nonprofits that otherwise are going to be struggling
4: to raise money. We should fund the summer youth jobs program that you just mentioned, because having young people going around and communicating to young people about the best way to social distance and wear masks and other kind of best health practices is way more effective than using the police. And in general, that's going to put money back in the community and strengthen the social safety net rather than simply relying on NYPD to do all this work. Right now, there's a serious budget conversation happening where we're going to be seeing a lot of pain in the budget you know, all over the place. And yet the NYPD budget is basically flat in the mayor's proposal. And one of the things i talked about is reducing the NYPD budget so that we can pay for things like the summer youth jobs program.
3: Right. And where did you write this piece?
4: And so people can read it at city limits.
3: And you know, there's a lot of consensus
4: now, even today, this morning, the New York Times editorial board came out with, in theory, basically the same position that the NYPD should not be leading on social distancing. But we don't really have yet is a plan for what would be there instead. And that's what we released in City Limits yesterday. And people can read the plan in detail there if they're interested.
3: Well, I feel like it's social science 101 when we talk about peer-to-peer education. I mean, I was just lamenting with my state senator about my concerns of teenagers that I'm seeing in my neighborhood walking in groups of three and four. No one is wearing a mask or maybe one person's wearing a mask as a beard and how can we get some sort of PSA to help young people understand that, you know, they live in multi-generational households, they need to wear masks, and it needs to be someone that they understand, know, and respect. And it could, that, I mean, it could definitely be someone in their age group who's hired by the city to not only hand out masks, but talk about the importance of wearing a mask instead of a, a police officer, which we know, in many zip codes, police officers don't have the best relationships with community members. Absolutely. I think it's easy uh, to forget that we are in the middle of a super unusual situation. This is not something that we have any practice in as a society and sort of shifting
4: our practices on a dime together. And so it makes sense that a lot of people just don't probably understand the health implications of not wearing masks or the health implications of not social distancing. Keep in mind, this is also a place where we have not gotten great direction at times from our leadership. We've heard mixed messaging. There was a period not that long ago where we were told not to wear masks. So people can be forgiven for having the wrong idea. And you're absolutely right that we need to be thinking about how do we now, in this moment, communicate much better. PSAs is one way to go. We are the most creative city in in the country, and uh, a lot of our creative industries right now are sitting idle. I mean, we should be thinking about
3: how we can tap our musicians and artists and writers to, to figure out how to communicate best practices across the city and not just rely on large blaring
4: signs saying, keep your social distance, which is what we have in our local park. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's in your face, but it doesn't really explain why. Exactly. I can see why it's not always effective. Essentially, we need
3: an NYC WPA. And that's what I'm going for. Well, and, and so are there any city council members who have been sort of leading the charge to help think about creative ways to incorporate some of these ideas, you know, removing the police from this enforcement phase, since we know that we're going to see a lot more of these, I would argue, racialized incidents, especially throughout the summer? Sure.
4: I've been encouraged by conversations with public advocate Shumani Williams, his team is very much aware of this dynamic. And as a citywide official, the public advocate's office does have a pretty good vantage point to what's happening around the city. Uh, you've seen isolated incidents of, of violence and, as we all know, disparate police enforcement. And so to have one centralized office that is sort of noticing what's going on in the city could be helpful here. I've actually had conversations with a few council members who are very supportive but are also super drained and, and pulled in a lot of different directions. Yes, city council members don't have very large teams and a lot of the ones who are in neighborhoods that are most affected by this kind of policing are also the same council members who have to do the most in constituent services and mutual aid and, and helping their community get through this. So it's a tough situation to figure out who actually has the bandwidth to lead, which is, again, why I think the more we can push down towards community empowerment, towards the groups that are already doing some form of Mm -hmm. day-to-day mutual aid work and just making sure they're compensated in doing that, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. You know, I saw one proposal today, you know, to create a new health corps of a few thousand people. And while that sounds
1: nice, uh, I don't know who has the bandwidth to organize, train, and direct a new agency
4: of 2,000 people. Instead, we should really be looking at who's doing the work now, who's already in the community now, and just make sure that they're getting paid for it, essentially, uh, because those are the people who already have community trust.
3: Right. Well, I mean, I think not reinventing the wheel is key. I mean, if we leave it up to our mayor, he'll create a whole new task force and committee and put his wife in charge. <laughs> yeah, will create a whole new car, yeah. Right. So that's that's definitely not necessary, and we can already use the resources we have. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with? And can you just give us a, a status update of the case as well that you're working on for Ishmael? Sure. You know, one of the
4: troubling things about this case is that ACS has retaliated against the family and claimed that because the child was selling food on the subway, this is a sign of bad parenting, essentially. And this is, as you pointed out, something that's going to happen with other families that are struggling against, meat around the city. And i Hardly think that trying to scrape together money as a family during a pandemic is any sign bad parenting. So the case is on hold for that reason. But what I would wanna leave people with is we are in a situation where we desperately need the community to be empowered in coming up with creative solutions to this. We can't have just a rigid set of rules enforced by NYPD and expect that a city of 8 million people is gonna get through it. We should really have groups that have community trust have the tools and resources to figure out ways to get people to practice responsible social distancing, wearing masks, and whatever else we need to do to get through the next number of months.
3: Wow. Thank you, Janos. Hopefully, the summer won't be as terrible as I fear, but we'll definitely have you back on so you can give us an update on the case of Ishmael Kamal and his family as they struggle to stay together. So I've been speaking to Janos Marton, civil rights attorney and candidate for the Manhattan district attorney's office. Thank you so much, Janos. Thank you.
0: Take
2: care. F-A-Q. FAQ. FAQ NYC is brought to you by Christina Greer and Harry Siegel. We used to record at the NYU's McSilver Institute for poverty policy and research. But these days we come to you from Brooklyn and Manhattan. We want to thank Janos Marton, civil rights, attorney and candidate for the Manhattan DA's office for joining us this week. And as always, special shout out to our executive producer, Alice Brooklyn and to Adam Tamara, our producer who mixed and mastered this episode until soon. Be safe.
0: I don't know if I told you guys, but like when this all started and I was like going to city hall, I had this crazy dream where he was like an old school Bowery drunk with, like, one tooth longer than the other and long hair. And he was, like, stumbling around screaming. And I was like, is that the mayor? And that's all I remember from one of my first, like, COVID lucid dreams. That's that's weirdly accurate, but...